is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. My name is Ben Hansen and I'm hosting this one and I'm joined by one Jeff Cork. Here I am. You know what this is? Our podcast. This is the penultimate episode of regular things because we're going to have some more stuff after this. We have our cute bonus episodes that will probably detail or just surprise on you. I don't know if we've really discussed it thoroughly. You being me, right? Because we have not discussed this. No, much. I mean, we, okay. we've, we've even talked on air a little bit about okay. some things we plan to do, but there'll be some fun surprises after we finish the main run. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to finishing the main run. Yeah. I'm not at the point where I'm savoring these yet, even though I still really enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. I enjoy talking about these. I enjoy yeah. sitting in this cold room with you. It's pretty chilly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I'll be quite satisfied. In the next episode, we're going to be covering six, and then that'll be it for season five. And we've and... seen every episode of the Twilight Zone program. Yeah. Every episode that we really need to cover. But then there's going to be those sticklers that come out of the woodwork and say that we haven't experienced it all until we've experienced the 80s Twilight Zone. And also that weird unofficial pilot that we glossed right over. So. So real quick. Yeah. I just want to say this. This is sure. a comedy of errors. Uh-huh. My notes, which I keep in a notebook. Right. This time I alternate between that and doing it on my iPad or whatever. Uh-huh. Left my notebook at home. My wife took photos of my notebook because she's a saint, and I printed them out, uh-huh. which is like the equivalent of an old guy printing out his emails That's right. so that he could peruse them with his glasses on. Yeah. So I'm looking at this kind of fuzzy version of my notes, so I might stumble. I can't it's wait. It's not because I've been drinking cologne uh-huh. or anything like that. It's just because <laughs> this is very blurry, and I need to really have a stern conversation with my wife about taking better <laughs> ah! better photos of my notes. because I am turning on a light the next time you forget a notebook at home? This is like a B minus C plus effort. Perfect. On her part. Congratulations, Steph. <laughs> All right. Uh, you ready to dive into this episode? Let's get into it. This what, is what episode, episode is it? 26 All right. from season five. I am the knight, comma, mm-hmm. color me black. And that's First, just the symbol or glyph of the comma. They don't yeah, put yeah. that in the title. No, no. What's your gut reaction on that title? I think it's a badass title. <laughs> you like it? I immediately thought this, um, they skip right ahead, to right past the lame 60s camp version of Batman. And right. this is just the version like Chris Nolan Batman. Right. I was right. sorely disappointed. Is very little to do with Batman. <laughs> very little. A little bit to do with justice, mm-hmm. which I guess the Batman's all about. Yep. Uh, so this episode opens up. It has a, a really nice opening where it is the town sheriff, and he's waking up in a bed with his wife. The second, actually one of two in this block of episodes that opens with the guy waking up next to his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wakes up next to his wife, uh, and he reveals that he's going to a man's execution today. And he's kind of befuddled because he's like, what time is it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's dark. Because it's still dark. The wife also makes a quick reference to like, yeah, why is it still dark outside anyway? And it's kind of cool because the wife has to make the breakfast Mm -hmm. that the accused man's going to eat. So she gets to prepare his final meal. And she's only in this beginning sequence as far as I can tell. I don't think that's her later on in the episode that's yelling like a maniac. Uh, But he just makes some joke about like, oh, make sure to make some good eggs. All right, well, I'll see ya. Uh, so then he goes to what the a joke. <laughs> so he goes to the police station, uh, and at this point, the hanging is at nine thirty. Right, right. And so in the morning, yeah, it's seven thirty in the morning uh, when they're talking about how it's still dark. Um, and so they're trying to figure out 
why it's dark. And mm-hmm. he has some line where he just goes, I don't know why. I don't know why at all. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's this hanging and the, the, you could tell the sheriff is totally not into this at all. And he thinks the whole spectacle is disgusting. He says like right. a reference to a bunch of cold-blooded gawkers getting their jollies <laughs> off watching it. It's yeah. Like, hmm. Yeah. And we should just set the scene here. Uh, Let's do that. Because I was still confused about, like, they're still hanging in the 60s? What's going on? But I think this episode takes place in the 40s. Did you also get that impression just from the vehicles? Like, at the end of the episode, there's a bunch of vehicles there, and I don't think they look very 60s What are you talking about? Am I nuts? Weirdo, you're nuts. So they were still hanging people in the 60s? Yeah. Publicly? Yeah. Not just in private? Like, decent folk? They still hung people if not if they're not still doing it within, like... A very recent time in either like Washington State or Utah. Really? Maybe Utah was firing squad, but yeah, you could get hung in in Washington. I'm pretty sure. Wow. So. I have no idea. All right, forget this. This t- episode takes place in the 60s. That makes much You're more a big sense. You're buff, so I can understand <laughs> how that stuck, stuck out. Cars and executions. Jeff Gordon's yeah. specialties. <laughs> so uh, this episode is revealed uh, to be written by Serling, mm-hmm. and it is it's up there with the most Serlingy episodes. Oh yeah, the entire thing is incredibly overwritten and sappy. And so this sheriff then is in the police station with his deputy, mm-hmm. and the deputy is a it's a bit of a heel. Yeah, it's a bit of a heel. He is really delighting in the fact that he gets to watch this man die, mm-hmm. and they are coming up on like it's much later. What time is it? Do you know? I think it's still around seven thirty. It's that it? time because he goes right to the station. Remember, and he's hanging out, and the the newspaper publisher comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they start talking, and the publisher's like, "Hey, is this guy innocent?" And the sheriff's like, "Ah, eh, it's not up to me." Yeah, yeah. So they, and we kind of like learn over the course that the deputy, um, in addition to being a jerk, may have perjured himself a little bit. So can you explain exactly what was going on there? This this whole there's some details of this plot, like the high level stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty basic concept, but the details about this actual crime is confusing. It's something about okay. how whoever the person that's being sentenced to hang killed attacked him first and the deputy saw it is that what it was the deputy claims that the person who's going to get hung yeah just did it out of cold blood right and perjured himself because he said that he saw it i think and then said that the guy was unarmed i think but they didn't check him for powder burns on his hands or something right and the sheriff knows that there were powder burns on his hands right and he didn't, didn't bring it anything. up and the guy who was murdered is just a known racist like, right scumbag but the reporter comes into the police station they're all still trying to figure out what the hell's going on and why the sun isn't coming up today uh but they're also strangely focused on their murder still mm-hmm. uh and then the deputy makes some reference to like oh justice is still being served no matter what yeah reporter says Justice is being served on the table with its tongue cut out just like any dead animal. Wow. Yeah, because he knows that this did not go down the way that they're pitching it. You're a great actor. Thanks. I do what I can. Um, So at this point, it's a weird shift because you think that the sheriff is is really going to be the protagonist of this episode, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really shake out that way. Like He comes up again later, but it kind of shifts to focus on this reporter as he goes in. He's the publisher. I think he's like the publisher slash reporter. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, and so he goes in and talks with the guy who's going to be hung. Jagger. Uh, yeah. The guy's name. Sure. Just about if he has any last requests. This guy is not fantastic. 
No, uh, he's not a great guy either. You would think that if this guy is wrongfully accused, they would try and make him more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really play out that way. Uh, he's pretty bitter towards the whole experience. He doesn't have any last words. He doesn't have a religion. doesn't want to see anybody. He just wants right. to kind of get it over with. So then they go out to the hanging. At that point, it's nine o'clock in the morning, and there's still no sign of the sun. And it's there's some fun debate about like whether or not we still should go through with this hanging, even though some crazy thing is going on. And they tried calling like Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. and Washington D.C. is like, no, it's really sunny here. I guess it's just an isolated incident. But no one brings up no one brings up the idea of like getting in a car no. and driving to the edge of this weird blackout region. Yeah, it's like that one time uh, Mr. Burns blocked out the sun. It's identical to that, actually. And then somebody shot him. <laughs> yeah. It's all very, very related. People uh, are really into this hanging, by the way. They really want it to happen. Yeah, there's a small group of vicious people standing out by their cars, which are clearly from the 60s, all just screaming about how they want this hanging to go down and they want justice to be delivered. And so the the crappy deputy, right, he uh, looks over at the rope and he says, like, uh, that ought to tend to him. And then the sheriff, who's getting more and more morose over the course of the episode, has some line where he says, but who is going to tend to us? Who or what is going to tend to us? Just really bringing it home in the hammiest way. Yeah. And so the deputy uh, is being a real heel this entire time. And the reporter guy tries talking to the black reverend, uh, just asking like, hey, do you think there's a theological explanation for what's going on here in the sky? And... uh, no, he says no. He can't no. come up with anything. He's just going to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. As this guy is being brought up uh, to the gallows, the reverend uh, declines to really say anything. Um, do you understand then what the reverend knew? The situation that happened is the guy who's getting hung yeah. uh, got into an altercation with the, the racist dude because the racist dude just beat the crap out of some black guy. Okay. And confronted him and then there was a bit of a scuffle and the racist guy shot or attacked the other guy the other guy responded and, and killed, killed the guy yeah he says don't return the hate oh that's all he says to him as he's walking Yeah, because he's tell he tells the guy you know what i mean Bef- you have all this hate in you and all this anger right don't right. give it back right right and so he screams at the crowd a little bit just saying like yeah 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 yeah, yeah and this dumb close-up of his face he gets hung. Oh, big, yeah. He's he's dead and gone. But the creakiest po- rope of all time. Correct. Uh, at this point, it starts to get a little bit darker mm-hmm. in this small little town. And that's when the priest really stands up and says like, oh, well, we didn't defend him. The sheriff could have, but he just wanted to get reelected. Yep. Uh, so that's why he didn't. The deputy didn't because he just wants vengeance and darkness. It's all hate and it's all this blackness and it's spreading out around this country and around this town. Um which is an interesting speech to give one of the few black people in Twilight Zone, the yeah. speech about how blackness is Well, it's an interesting hypothesis considering he didn't offer anything up before the hanging. Right, right. But whatever. Seeing a guy get hung apparently triggers you into being a little bit guilty about the whole thing. Yeah. The and deputy says, uh, or the sheriff rather, says, ah, oh, the deputy yeah, the deputy says, ah, it's going to be okay. Publisher's like, I'm not sure. Right. And then they start getting news reports Back, about yeah. how uh, it's getting dark around the Berlin Wall and Dallas, Texas. And Budapest. Yep, political prisons. Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama, North Vietnam. All of North Vietnam is just completely... Shanghai, parts of Chicago. That's right. Uh, and Rod Serling explains that the sickness known as hate, don't look for it in the Twilight Zone, look for it in a mirror. 
You're going to want to keep the lights on, though. Yeah. Yeah. While you look for the darkness. Yes. This is this just seems like a good example of Serlin just really wanted to drive it home. He realizes he's getting to the end mm-hmm. of the run of the Twilight Zone. It's like, hey, I don't know if I've been preachy enough. Yep. Let me just say it to you straight. Hate is bad. Hate stinks. And it's kind of like war stinks in the Purple Testament. That's right. It's a, very similar to that. Uh, it's an interesting idea, just the sun not coming up mm-hmm. in this one isolated region just because the town is so filled with hate. I don't know. I don't think it pays off beyond that. No. It's, uh, again, I think like this is kind of, I think you could sum up a lot of the Twilight Zone I'm finding out is you've uh-huh. got a really great premise. Uh-huh. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was a bold episode. It was quiet. Yeah. Uh, so that's what bumped it up from a five for me, but I ended up giving it a six. Yeah, as did I. Okay. Yeah, we're Good. six buddies. Good. Glad we're on the same page. All right. Moving on to sounds and silences. Please. Okay, this is going to be a quick one. Yeah. Because there's not a whole lot to say not about this one. So we start off with uh, he's a guy on a ship, and he's just walking around, do-do-do-do-do, ship stuff. Uh-huh. But then you realize, no, it's not. It's this guy's office that he's decorated like a ship, and it's like a sound effects record that makes it sound like a ship. This is Roswell G. Flemington. And also he... known as Rush Limbaugh, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's completely him. Um and at this time in his life, he owned a model ship company. <laughs> business is booming. He's the boss. Uh-huh. Uh, he's also a tremendous jerk, telling everyone uh, to keep an even keel, go full steam ahead, and all this other nautical stuff. He's really, really into boats. And screaming at his uh, small staff. Yeah, exactly. No one, like all of his employees are kind of simultaneously afraid of him and think of it as a joke. And... Yeah, they make fun of him behind his back quite a bit just for all the dumb naval terminology mm-hmm. that he constantly keeps spewing at him about oh someone, clean up the poop deck yada 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 someone even throws a dart at his portrait and then wishes that a kamikaze had hit him yeah. there's so many kamikazes flying in everything during the war why didn't one hit this jackass exactly so he goes back into his office and puts on a <laughs> just some marching band music super loud uh-huh you're like ah, oh, this guy's just the worst so and now his office starts jumping and a driving. Mm-hmm. There's this effect where like a couple of key things in the office will shake to the sounds of the super loud record. Yeah. So like the cupboards and the plants and maybe a model ship or two in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes home and he's walking around his house and he's listening to... This guy's kind of weird. He's listening <laughs> to explosions on his hi-fi setup. Right. And the phone it's the rings. Battleship Missouri bombing Okinawa. I was going to get to that. It's very sweet. It's a limited record recording of this. There's only 100 of them pressed to the USS Missouri bombarding the Okinawa, and you can hear all these explosions. And his wife is just like, nope, and breaks the record. And she says, she's had it. And she takes his phrase where he always says, it's in a matter of speaking, and uses it against him. She's like, oh, in a matter of speaking, I guess I've had it up to here with you. Yeah. And then he blames it on his mom, saying, well, when I was growing up, <laughs> My mom made me take my shoes off when I went inside. I had to tiptoe around everywhere, and I could only eat brownies. She wouldn't give us cookies because cookies would crunch. God. And she'd say, run upstairs and eat your brownie. So apparently this has really stuck with him. He's he's way too old to be worrying about what happened when he was a child. Like Oh, yeah. Stuff. Your childhood doesn't have a lasting impression on you at all. Absolutely that's, not. That's one thing this is psychology one thing has taught us. You should get over that. 
<laughs> so she says, "Oh God, I had to eat brownies as a child." Yeah, what was me? I was like, "You got a lot of brownies." So she says, "Good riddance," <laughs> and he wakes up to the sound of a dripping faucet. I think you know where this is going up. It's deafening. He runs over uh-huh. and like covers the faucet, and then here's. More dripping, it's the shower, and then. But cl- beyond that, like it's not even it's dripping. But then they also combine it with the sound of like a gun going off for the shower drip. Mm-hmm. It's the the loudest possible version of that. Yeah. Then a clock is loud, and he drops it, and there's an explosion followed by a springy sound, followed by some other like cartoony. It's like he dropped like a clock in Roger Rabbit. Right, right. And so then it cuts to commercial, and when it comes back from commercial, it starts in his ear, and the camera's mm-hmm. like pulling out. And it has like a little nautical theme. And I was trying to figure out, I think it's the Popeye theme. <laughs> it's something like that. That would be the Popeye theme. All right. I, th- exactly I'm pretty like sure that. it was that. Yeah. yeah. So the doctor's poking in his ears. And he's like, hey, everything looks okay. And then Flemington is immediately like, you know, F- you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. Um, and then the doctor's like, oh, how about this? I recommend you see a psychiatrist. Uh-huh. And... He goes to leave, Flemington does, and then he hears all this terrible snapping sound, and he looks, and the doctor has wasted no time in trimming his fingernails. So this is the confusing part. What is distinct? Like, what makes the super loud sounds and what doesn't? Because the doctor speaking is totally fine. Walking around is totally fine. But it's just certain key objects, like fingernail clippers. That's what will really make sounds so deafening that he can't take it. Well, actually, I thought about this, and I think the answer is this is just a super dumb episode i think that's what's <laughs> going on there's not a whole lot of internal logic at uh-huh. work here it's whatever they could use uh like stock sound effects for and all that stuff so he's at home and it's super loud outside of his window then he hears like squeaky shoes from one of his employees and then the typewriter is really loud and then the door slams which is not a big deal which but is i strange. like i like that yeah when he goes back to work one of his employees who's been there for like 10 years uh is a little bit worried about him like, mm-hmm. everyone's just kind of joking around, like, oh, what's wrong with the boss? But then one guy is like, oh, I've been here for 10 years, and he's never been this concerned about anything. He oh, he's never so been down. late. Either. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's never seen him frightened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squeaky shoes will do that. And then he uh, goes to the psychiatrist and talks about mom and then <laughs> running around, and everything is fine. Yeah. He's, like, running around. He's, like, making noise, and everything is, like I said, everything is fine. So he goes home and he's super happy and he puts on, goes to put on a record and his wife is there because she's just picking up some of her jewelry. Well, the psychologist or psychiatrist tells him all about the mind over matter. Which he tells philosophy. her then after she says, I'm coming to get my jewelry. He's like, yeah. I've got mind over matter. I can just shut you out at will. And she starts talking, but it's super muffled. Right. And it's basically the best thing ever because he does not like her all of a sudden. Uh, and it works, kind of. She leaves, and he puts on the record, and there's nothing. Right. No sound. But the cool part is that all of the things in his room are still moving around. Mm-hmm. So we know that there should be sound, because it set up that nice visual cue later on, or yeah. earlier on. So then he gives up eventually, and he starts screaming, but all he can hear is himself. And he's like picking up faces and throwing them, and he can't hear that. He can only hear himself. This yeah. is really just like a sound designer's dream episode, mm-hmm. to be like, oh my god. They're only going to pay attention to me. I'm the star of this show. And then he goes to a sanitarium. And Sterling says that he's telling everybody to speak up because they're being too quiet. So there you go. And it's poetic justice, as Sterling explains, I think is what's going on in this episode. Yeah. 
he was too loud and he was a jerk. And so then he couldn't hear anything. So basically just became deaf. I think that's basically what's happening here. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. And looking at my score, I think I, I think I was a little bit too kind to it. Yeah. Uh, this was another Richard Donner episode. Yes. Uh, I noticed that in the beginning. Probably his weakest of the Twilight Zone that I've seen so far that I can remember mm-hmm. him being attached to. Um, it's no for Magnus with love. I'll tell you no. that much. Uh, I'm going to... I, I kind of I like the idea that it's so simple. In some ways, it's kind of like the masks to me, mm-hmm. where it's like they're kind of running out of complex stories for the Twilight Zone. So it's like, well, let's just boil it down to the most simplistic thing in the mask. It's just simple vengeance, which was a much better episode yeah. than this. Uh, and then in this one, it's just a guy dealing with sound. So I have a question. Yeah. The guy dealing with sound, uh-huh. he could have done that in any work environment. He could have worked at a factory. Why the boat angle because can you imagine how much that like the place is packed it, it's right. like a like a uh red lobster uh-huh but even more so like everything has like wheels and paddles and uh-huh. all kinds of memorabilia all over it well why, why did they do, go with that do you think maybe i don't know maybe in the story of the show there was some well i mean i guess with the kamikaze comment maybe they hinted at it maybe he was on a battleship in the war and then he fell in love with the sounds of warfare there. And this is all some like PTSD scenario. Listening to that sound effects record of... Also, that's a booming industry. You can go on iTunes and just find all that audio right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, I love it. I love it when he's leafing through the albums. Because like I want to know every single one. He's got a train coming. Uh-huh. Train going. Train going. It's a two-parter. Uh, he has three albums dedicated to the living man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And a thunderclap. That's just a single thunderclap on <laughs> Slowed a down. Yep. The 24-hour thunderclap. Uh, so I ended up giving this one... I'm going to go with a five. Yeah, I gave this one a three. Okay. Good. All right. I'm not going to hold that against you, dude. That's good. Because my response is this. He's quietly mouthing everybody as yeah. if he's not saying it's anything. It's a visual gag for the podcast. Ta-da! <laughs> All right. Uh, next episode is The Dummy. It is the dummy <laughs> and another role. Here he, we go. This is... He's like a Burgess Meredith of props. It's true. I mean, this is... This episode made me think that it's amazing that they didn't have one sequel episode in all of the Twilight Zone. This is the closest mm-hmm. that we've come to just being a direct sequel to yes. a previous episode, right? It is the closest we've come. You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> because this episode is called Caesar and Me. Yes. And it has the exact doll from the dummy. Yes. And in the beginning, they even, this guy's name is Caesar, this dummy. Uh, but in the beginning, they even the original dummy, not the one that is at the end of the dummy. Right. Not the one that's at the end. But that's the thing. Is there any way in our unified theory we can mm-hmm. connect these two? Because they make some reference like, oh, the previous owner left this dummy for a lady. Yes. I'm trying to remember. Is there a lady in the dummy that somehow played in there? Oh, yeah. That one lady that... Was it Jerry? Is that the name of the actor in that? Sure. Or the character in that one, and he chased her in the alley. Okay. And tried his weird advances because he's having a freak out. So this could be a chronological sequel. Yes. If that ending didn't happen. Yes. Or maybe that ending when they swapped, swept, swapped bodies, it was just a, like a one-night event. And the next morning, he just Oh, it was a freaky her. Friday, and he's like, 
boy, this does stink. He learned the lesson <laughs> of being like a dummy. To, I'd rather be a dummy. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about this dummy. No, let's talk about the previous dummy. All, All right. right. So this dummy, his name's Caesar, uh, and uh, there's a man who's trying, like, he's down in his luck. He doesn't have any rent money. He's trying to pawn everything off at a pawn shop. It's not going well. Uh, the pawn shop guy brings up the idea of like, hey, why don't you sell the dummy over there? And he's like, oh, no, this is my moneymaker. I'm not going to leave it. So he goes back to where he lives. This guy's name is Jonathan. Sure, old Johnny. Uh, he goes back to where he lives, and there is just the worst little girl living uh, next to him. A little kid named Susan who like immediately fires a blow dart at him. Yeah, a poison blow dart. And then she makes some reference like, oh, it's okay, it's not real, when her aunt tries to call her on it. Yeah. I'm sure she killed her parents. That's why she's living with her aunt <laughs> in this stupid apartment building. So she's a real little monster. Um, and so he goes into his little bedroom and then Caesar starts talking to him mm-hmm. because he's behind on his rent and he's hoping that uh, Susan's aunt will forgive him and just wait a little bit longer, that whole scenario, right? And Caesar's like, we're finished. Yeah, and also Caesar sounds a lot like Mel Blanc. I don't. I looked it up though and I didn't see any record that it actually is. No. Um, but uh, so yeah, Caesar is alive <laughs> apparently and tries to convince him that he should rob stores yes and that if he just gets into the great career of robbing this will all turn around for him i don't know why caesar is suddenly an expert in this and how he let it is this finally his breaking point where he's like ah yeah he's fine. not he's not johnny isn't really shocked that caesar's talking so i think this has been a thing that's been going on for a little while um he's been trying to get other jobs there's mm-hmm. a scene where he's like pitching his comedy to like these uh, show uh, yep. runners and uh, here's the joke so uh, there's a man outside with a wooden leg named smith mm-hmm. and then the dummy says what's the name of his other leg not bad yep and then he goes back home and susan continues to harass him about she just lets herself right in yeah and she's like do it <laughs> do your do your stuff yeah, yeah. And he can, he can throw his voice without moving his lips and all that nonsense. It's impressive. Yes. But I can't imagine that it's real in the production of this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. Uh, and so, yeah, she constantly is singing songs about like, ah, oh, Johnny can't find a job. Johnny can't find a job, yada, yada, yada. And this guy kind of looks like a wrinkly, younger Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. So Caesar, the dummy, eventually convinces him to rob, of all places, a delicatessen. Well, real quick though, we yeah. gotta, this is this one scene is such a non-starter too. Please. Is that before that he goes, he's like, okay, we're gonna go to the job agency, and he's talking to the guy who's going through a oh, file yeah. cabinet looking for like things that he's like, and he's just like qualified. Nope, to nope, he's like, nope. what kind of jobs have you had? I'm a, he's only work experience. He doesn't have a work permit to work in the U.S. because he's from Ireland. Sure. Although he had an apprenticeship for a puppet maker, back in Ireland. There we go. And at that Good point, the something. guy just probably wanted to. Slam the filing cabinet on his own head. It's like, <laughs> wasting everybody's time, man. And so this little Susan girl, too, all that we see of her is just being super violent. Uh, like, she has, like, a fake machine gun at a yeah. certain point. She's, like, firing at his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really hoping that this episode was building, like, this great confrontation between Susan and Caesar. Oh, I'll like, kick her right through a window like the Twilight Zone does best. Yeah. It's like, those are, like, the two stars of this episode. One's super violent and the other's super aggressive. It's like, yes. this is... This is going down, man, but I'm going to let you right now, know right now that it does not go down, really. Um, and so, also, fun note, yeah. that Susan girl, yes, she went on to be in Dallas, and then late in her life, she had a little uh, cameo in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. 
All right, those are some facts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway. He robs a delicatessen, uh, and it goes okay. Uh, he comes back, and he's talking to Caesar about what he just did, and Susan listens to the door, mm-hmm. and she knows exactly what's going on. She then sees in the newspaper that somebody robbed the delicatessen, or is this the club later? I think that's um, the club later. Yeah, club is later. Okay, so basically- like, We're going to do one last job. Yeah, Caesar's trying to convince him. Yeah, this is going to be the really big shoe. Yep. Which is a reference that Serling made like three episodes ago, mm-hmm. but all right, we'll go along with it. Maybe that's like the- It's like it's the- Ed Sullivan reference. Yeah, yeah, but it's just it was that common where it wasn't a weird thing that they were both in the same show so close together. It's just kind of like, like an Austin Powers quote or something. Yeah, baby. Okay, we'll go along with that. Uh, so he convinces him- to go and rob uh, this uh, theater where he was looking for a job earlier. And Caesar keeps telling him, like, if you, if we get caught, just tell him that Mr. Miller was going to meet us up here. It was all going to be cool. Uh, and so he robs the place, then gets caught by the security guard, but explains to the super nice security guard, like, oh, Mr. Miller told me to meet him here. I was here earlier. No big deal. Uh, security guard lets him go. He then is talking with Caesar. Susan overhears it, sees the newspaper that the club was robbed, Calls the cops because she's just a really bad little girl. Just one of the worst characters in the Twilight (laughs) Zone that we've seen so far. Um, And so the cops come and Johnny really cannot handle the police asking him any questions about where he was last night. Like his his story's full of holes. He can't make up his mind about whether or not he's going to lie and stick to it. Uh, And so he eventually just breaks down and starts begging Caesar to explain. Like, oh, Caesar, come on, dummy. You got to explain to these cops what's going on and why why it's such a tough world out there and how yeah. poor we are and all this stuff. And but, Caesar's like stone cold silent. Doesn't yeah. break his facade. Nope. Compared to the last scene when he was trying to convince him to rob the place and he was yep. running all over the room, like back and forth in front of the camera. It was this very funny shot where they just like <laughs> move the dumb dummy. Um, and, but he's not saying a word. And so the cops take him away. And then it's just Susan and Caesar. Because she's getting ready to leave. And then Caesar's like, turns his head all the way around He's like, hey, come over here. And Susan comes over and he's like, you'd probably like to run away. How would you get away from this aunt? uh? From this place. We're a team. And she's like, well, I don't have any money. And he's like, I know where some money is. Right, right. And he recommends that she take care of her aunt with the poison dart, which is a nice callback in the idea that this little girl is going to murder her aunt now with a poison dart gun. Pretty Mm -hmm. dark for Twilight Zone. Yeah. Uh, She's going to pack some real poison to those things, not the fake one she was using earlier. Um, so not a violent confrontation at the end and that's it. It just closes with like, oh, apparently the dummy is just kind of a manifestation of temptations. I, what would keep that dummy happy? Yeah. What's he, what, what are his appetites? Like, does he, what want, does he get out of this whole thing? Yeah. Just a better apartment from which he can sit in a chair and do nothing. Right. Well, I mean, there is the angle that this is all just mental illness, which I guess they kind of played up with Jonathan towards the end. And I wish they kind of would have stuck to it a little bit more like miniature, uh, they just really invested in this Caesar doll. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that doesn't really hold true because then you could apply that to Susan with like, oh, she is a violent lady mm-hmm. and wants to get away from her aunt. But I, but the, the fact head that turns around on its own. It turns around on its own. And also like Susan heard Caesar talking with him. So it is just literally a talking doll that right. wants people to give in to their dark side. I don't get his end game though. Well, that's for the third chapter. That's a trilogy. <laughs> uh, it's really going to be a doozy. Um, so that's it, man. So I give this one... Uh, I know you like dummies a lot. I do. I gave this one a five. Yeah, I gave it a six. Okay. I just can't I believe... I like them a lot, but... Yeah. I don't know. 
I can't believe that they have two dummy episodes. With the same dummy. It's like the equivalent of like having like two robot boxing episodes. It's like just that's a very specific niche mm-hmm. to really double down on, especially so soon. Like so back to back. was like I would think more. I mean that Jeff Dunham guy or whatever who's making a gazillion dollars a year. But I mean it was like there were multiple ventriloquists in this era, right? Sure. So, so it's, the, it's like it's not that different from having two episodes about a comedian. You're saying now or something. Yeah. It was just a thing that would people would do. Sure, sure. So, I mean, it wasn't super weird. The most impressive part of this episode with the ventriloqu- ventriloquism yeah. is uh, when he's talking to the security guard and Caesar is in his case, his little suitcase. Mm-hmm. When he does Caesar's voice, it sounds muffled as if Caesar's inside the case. And he cracks some joke to really uh, alleviate the tension with the security guard. Yep. But it's tough to do muffled as well as throwing your voice. It really is. Like you said earlier, I don't know that he really did that. Yeah, I think <laughs> just that would have popped your bubble. Although I think if I was a security guard, that would have been my first clue that Caesar's alive, and I just would have would have opened fire on that suitcase. Yep, <laughs> you would have just stomped it into pieces, and then it was like <laughs> Daffy Dork or whatever that one puppet. Remember in the dummy? Oh, uh, Doofy Dingus, Go- <laughs> Goofy Goggles, Goofy Goggles. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, I can't see. <laughs> uh, no, really. That's oh, a... also, what little filmmaking note. Tell this me. episode has one of the most obnoxious transitions in all the Twilight Zone <gasps> with little Susan. Uh, it's after she's in the room with Caesar, like shoving the cigar into his mouth. Oh, like, yeah. Kind of torturing him or whatever. Uh, and then like it does this weird, basically like a shutter, except it's horizontal. Mm. It's like this weird George Lucas wipe where then it goes to her eating breakfast the next morning. But it's the only time it's ever used in all the Twilight Zone and only used once in this episode. I don't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. But just I have a, a question for yeah. you, real quick. Do you think what's going on is what he wants? Is he knows Taki Tina is somewhere out there, and he's just trying to manipulate his way into finding out where she is? He's kind of like a Why? like a proto fival, a like fival from an American tale. I don't remember his storyline. Well, he looks up at the moon and knows that his family is also looking at the same moon. Oh, I see. So he's thinking like somewhere is Taki Tina, right? And she and I have a lot in common. Uh huh. I need to manipulate these stupid people into finally getting close enough because I can't just run around because people would say, Look at and that maybe dummy. it took place in the city where the little girl wanted to go. So once he had the money, yes. then he could get the transportation with the little girl mm-hmm. and then uh, make he babies could... with Takitina. I don't know that you need to get graphic. Okay. <laughs> but sure. Possibility. All right. For the unified theory, not bad. Speaking not bad. of possibilities, let's go to the Jeopardy room so where anything could happen. <laughs> anything at all. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Take it away, dude. As I was watching this, I was thinking, I hope I don't have to describe this one later. Oh, really? <laughs> I wanted to describe this one because it's so easy. All right. So a guy is in a room. Which kind of room? It's just a small room. Oh, and, and he gets a phone call. And he answers the phone, and it's a guy on the other end. And they let's just say they're both like cartoonish Russians. <laughs> and the guy says, "Hey, it's a good friend. Stay in your room. There are two men across the hotel from where you're sitting right now, aiming a gun. So you got to be patient." Um, and then there's a knock at the door. The the guy opens it, and on the other side, um. Let's the, he lets the guy in. He has a gun himself because he's a little wary about what's going on. Let's yeah, the, he, he 
but, he knows that there's some funny business going on, yep. but he has a gun and he still lets this complete stranger into his house who then goes on to explain that he's going to kill him mm-hmm. and he still does not fire the gun at that stranger. Yep. And they, we learned that the, the, the guy, oh boy, Krushnikov. Don't even try. Mr. That's, K, we'll call him. Sure. He's a, he's a political prisoner. He's trying to get out and he's under surveillance. And the, and the bad guy says, we're not going to let you leave. You got to come to our embassy. And He's uh, trying to get out of the Soviet Union. But the interesting part is that the killer is trying to stop him from leaving because he has a lot of military experience. And he says that he has embarrassing information. Mm-hmm. Not like top secret weapons information. Just, no. It's just another light, little slight jab at the Soviet Union. That yes. The only thing he has is super embarrassing information about them. It involves a fart, probably. <laughs> which I've said too much. So they drink wine and... The the commissar, the bad guy, he says, I just have to make sure you die by tomorrow. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to prolong the death. I've done it so I've done it eight hundred times right. with imagination. And then he says, I want to prolong the death. At that point, they both have been drinking the wine. Yeah. He drinks it like the the killer drinks it first just to prove that the wine is totally mm-hmm. cool. But Mr. K drops to the ground, the wine has been poisoned. So he comes to and the guy is gone. Does he get a note? No, what it is is he comes to and there's a tape recorder. Oh, that's uh, right. The tape recorder. And the tape recorder starts explaining the situation mm-hmm. that like, there's oh, a- I know that poison that knocked you out did a real number on you, but I've been ingesting that poison for so many years. It doesn't really work on me anymore Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a bona fide killer. So no big deal. I drink poison all the time. <laughs> You're a real wimp for being knocked out by that. Yeah. Also... Uh, there is an explosive in your room. Yep. Booby trap in the room. It's connected to a common household object. You've got three hours to find the device, cut the wire to it, and win the game. Right. If you but try and leave the room, you'll get shot. If you, you try to turn off the lights, you'll get shot. If you stop searching, you'll get shot. And, uh, and you'll get shot, keep in mind, from across the way. And right. it's this guy named Boris, mm-hmm. who in the beginning we meet, and he just has a little pistol, and yep. it does this. It does this great shot too, where it like pulls between the two rooms, mm-hmm. where uh, the one Russian guy that's being hunted has to like stay still, and then the camera like pulls out to make it seem like it's a super long way away, and then it's Boris and the killer sitting across, but like just the most visible people, yep. and Boris has uh, binoculars and a little pistol ready yep. to kill, and now the killer's leaning back against the wall. Theoretically, because it's too far away and he can't see, even though really it just seems like it's like 30 feet. Mm-hmm. But it, Boris is just describing to him what uh, the, their victim is doing. Yeah. And and then the guy starts looking around the room. And in my opinion, they they kind of blow it by telling you almost immediately what it is. That it's a bomb? What Where it is, though. Oh, sure. Because the guy's sure, looking around and they There's say, like a hot and cold situation yeah, where Boris like, is explaining where he is. And he's like, oh, he'll never find it before he'll never it's find too late. It. Yeah. And before people, like you're watching, before you even have a chance to guess where it is, the guy's like, ah, oh, it's, it's the phone. Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> if he picks it up, after it rings, it's going to blow. So I'm going to give the guy a call. Yeah. So there you go. So the guy... For, okay, around. so hang on. Let me, let's really stop it here. Because at the beginning of this episode, the killer is talking to Boris and really explaining on and on about how you know he's bored with killing and Mm -hmm. boris is a butcher but he's an artist like boris just wants to shoot him he won't have anything of it because he's an artist and he's going to play with him in the most fun Mm -hmm. prolonged way it's like he makes some reference to uh caressing a woman how it's a similar idea you need to really enjoy it you know uh and then the best that he can come up with after 800 kills is just putting a bomb somewhere in there and this guy's to like 
cut a cord? It's such a fun high level concept. Yeah. But then in practicality, him having to just walk around a room trying to find a cord to cut. Find something that has a wire connected to a common household object. Yeah. It's a real bummer. Yeah, it really is. So the guy, um, Mr. K, tries covering the window with a blanket, and the guy just shoots through the window. Repeatedly. And then mm-hmm. Boris like ducks, and then the interesting part is he stands up and then begs to be shot. Yep. But Boris won't shoot him then. Nope. Then the bad guys call the hotel, and they say to ring the room. And Mr. K walks over to the phone and pauses and then walks away. And then uh, then he runs out the door. And then you see, like, the bullets do the little machine gun uh-huh. style. Ding, 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 on the wall. Also, of course he's going to run out the door. These people are shooting a pistol from across an alley. Yeah. Like, it is the easiest thing. And even earlier in the episode, he was, like, searching the doorknob to find mm-hmm. out if that was the common household object. It would be the easiest thing in the world to pretend that you're searching the doorknob <laughs> and then just quickly run out. Got to search the other side real quick. It's either that or you're going to get blown up and you know it's going to happen. He told you he was going to kill you. Yeah. So he makes a break for it and lo and behold, it's super easy to run out a door. Yeah. It's on a hinge. <laughs> it's got a handle on it. So they're like, ah, it would have been better just to kill him. He's like, ah, I'll get him in the next city. Yeah, and they're kind of in the hotel room him. examining the non-damage because nothing blew up. Right. Um, but then the phone rings and Boris just like walks over to the phone and picks it up just as the commissar says, no. And then it's a crappy looking explosion. Just a really good explosion overlaid over... Yeah. The Jeopardy room. And then it cuts to uh, the original Russian guy. Mr. K. And, yeah, Mr. K. And the operator's talking to him like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we couldn't reach them. It's an all right, operator. I have reached them. Mm-hmm. And then he's feeling pretty cocky. And Serling explains that this guy has stunning ingenuity. I don't know if I go that far. He just kind of ran out of a room and then made a phone call. <laughs> make him seem like he's just like a Batman and Joker situation. And even yeah. like the killer was trying to make it seem that way. Like, oh... We're the ultimate rivals, us two foes. We're we're matching wits by you searching the pillow for that explosive, <laughs> for and me not watching you and sitting super far away. That Pretty. Boris guy is just gonna be like, oh, kill! I'm gonna shoot my own face off. This is <laughs> the worst. Yeah, I think that's what that little wink at the camera at the end meant. It's, that was a suicide thing. He knew what was going on when he was gonna pick up that phone. Yep. Yeah, but he's just ready to take them both out. Hearing about this guy's art of killing for the thirtieth time. <laughs> So this is, yeah, this is the overall theme of the episode is it's a great top line mm-hmm. and then the details, every detail is just a little bit of a bummer and they don't quite get it right. Or it's not as fun as it should be because it's like the the concept is great and it should mm-hmm. be this, you know, Saw style tense episode, but just having him theoretically cut a cord by yeah. touching the object, but then also if he touches it, he loses and he can't do this and he can't do that. Well, it seems like this would have been... And I know they really wanted to tell like a hardcore Cold War story. Right. It seems like it would have kind of opened the concept up a little bit is after having been drugged, they moved him to a different location. Sure. That had been like cameras and everything installed in the rooms where they w- it wasn't dependent on them just sitting across the street. Right. So that the guy could actually explore and you could have some tension as he moves from room to room kind of looking for Make things. Make it a real game. Yeah. As it is, it's just like it is a room that is slightly smaller or larger than like my bedroom and if you told me that i had to look for something for three hours uh-huh i would totally stand there with my arms outstretched 
saying shoot me because I've looked at everything. Yeah, yeah, pretty quickly. I mean, I'm sure it was a very cheap episode to produce, and this late in the run, I know they were coming in over budget, and that's why they went for that Owl Creek weird uh, side mm-hmm. project and whatnot. So going to another room costs money. This was and close blowing to, it up too. Oh, no, so much money. This is close to Nervous Man in a four dollar room for expense. You know. Yeah. I guess there's like the special effects of shooting out the window and stuff like that, but. It's a pretty cheap episode with just two rooms and people scurrying about them. You know what would have been better? Is that? Is if they pulled back and Boris was the dummy. Oh, God. So good. Yeah. All right. I give this one a six. Hey. Six buddies again. <laughs> old six buddies. Good old six buddies. All right. Here we go. This one's here we called go. Stop Over in a Quiet Town and Hulu Notes, a.k.a. Strangers in Town. Hmm. Opens up. And uh, it is a couple, younger yep. couple, uh, in bed. The husband is immediately hungover. He gets out of bed and notices that he's wearing like a full suit, pretty fancy getup. Yes. And he's just kind of like, oh, God, where was I last night? What's going on? The wife gets out of bed. She seems a little more horrified immediately. Mm-hmm. Like she's looking down at her legs like, I'm still in my clothes. And you can see the realization on her face that something is up here. Um which and, is good because we still have more than 20 minutes in the episode that's at this true. point. <laughs> that's true. And so then they start debating about what actually happened. And they were upstate uh, at a party. And the guy was, of course, going to drive because yep. it's the 60s or whatever. But he got a little too sauced. And so he was laying down asleep. And the wife, who also had a few, it turns out, she was driving home. Last thing she remembers is seeing a shadow. Something coming down on the car from overhead and the husband's like, oh, well, you just ran into somebody. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I really didn't. And he's like, well, then somebody ran into us. There's no mystery here. That's all that happened. Um, and so they're also confused about where they are. Yep. And he's and so, super cool about the whole thing. He's, he's really jokey and not yeah, like, they're, they're, weirded they're, out. Yeah, they're a lovely couple overall. They have a lot of jokes, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's not weirded out just because he kind of sees it as a little bit embarrassing, I think. Just that like, oh, God, I got so drunk and now... Again. We got an accident and some people drug us out of the car mm-hmm. and brought us to this house. Uh, now we have to go down. They're probably cooking bacon first downstairs yep. and everything. And so they walk downstairs and there's nobody home. Mm-hmm. And then they start trying to rummage through the drawers to try and find some ibuprofen. Because he used the phone and the phone just rips off the oh, wall. Oh, yeah. Like and the wife Superman. is like giving him crap about it. And he's like, ah, it was loose. I don't know. So then they're looking for aspirin uh, and all the drawers pop off. Like they're completely fake. Yes. And so at this point you start thinking, well, first of all, I mean, when she says it, like, oh, a shadow is overhead, it's like, okay, UFO. It's They're abducted. Yeah, totally a UFO. UFO, and then... Or a night cloud. And then nothing in the house is real. So then like you immediately... food in the fridge. Yeah, huge fake bread and just, like, two giant pieces of fruit. Uh, so you start thinking immediately, too, uh, people are, like, all over mm-hmm. with the zoo on Mars because it's yeah. a very similar thing. It's like, oh, okay, they're going to be on some weird alien planet. And so then they go outside. We hear some weird kid laughter when they're yeah, outside, Yeah, they hear too. a little girl laugh laughing mm-hmm. not really in response to anything funny that they're doing just a random child laughing yeah and the streets are empty they can't find anybody and this guy just keeps bashing this town and being like oh a little hick town yep what do you expect everyone just hides behind their blinds and looking at us and no one wants to help us and so they're like knocking on other people's doors and no one's coming out and it has one of my them. like favorite moments she sees a squirrel in a tree <laughs> yeah, she's super excited about and the she's squirrel. like oh I think it's tame because the squirrel's not moving. And then she touches it and it just like swivels around on the branch. It's right. stuffed. Right, right. Everything is stuffed. It's tame. It's, there we go. And so the wife is starting to get more and more horrified as the episode goes on because they go to a church then, assuming everyone's at church because it's mm-hmm. Sunday. Church is empty. He starts ringing the church bell. There's nobody there. 
More uh, laughing. Yeah, child's always laughing. He's really trying to hunt this lady down because the wife's getting more freaked out because she realizes that they're being watched, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then they're like, well, something in this town must be real. Something must be real. Oh, this tree over here, that's real. And she kisses it and she's like, oh, tree, I love you. It's <laughs> an exact quote. And then he's like, oh, tree. And he slaps this tree. And then, of course, it falls over and it's like a prop tree. And then he goes on about, oh, there's bound to be some explanation or something. And then the coolest part of the episode happens where they're just sitting around trying to figure out what's going on in this model replica town. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the grass next to them in this circular shape just bursts into flames. Yes. It's so cool. And so, like, they don't have time to question it. uh, And they just try and put it out with their feet. They put it out, realize that the ground is all paper mache. Mm -hmm. Also, let's just... Should we get into it right now? Because I love that they never really address what the hell happened here. Well, let's just keep going. All right. All right. So anyways, they're confused about why the ground burst into flames. Um, and so then they run and they see a guy in a car. Mm-hmm. And so then they run up to him and he's like, oh, God, you're the first person I've seen all day. It's so good to see you. And then, of course, it's a mannequin in the car. Very similar to the very first episode of Twilight yeah, Zone. Or, where yeah. is everybody? Yeah. Yep. Also, it's funny that like it's this huge town and there's one mannequin. Mm-hmm. Whoever is decorating this town is just super cheap. One squirrel, one mannequin. Yeah, yeah. And so then he pushes the mannequin out of the car and then he gets in. He's like, well, let's drive the hell out of here. The keys are in there. It's the perfect. keys are in there. This <laughs> another one of my favorite parts is he starts turning the keys zero sound mm-hmm. like nothing but he's sitting there going come on baby come on <laughs> like like the engine's like revving or like getting close to throwing and it is not it is just like a, a prop vehicle but he is convinced that he can start this thing and then he goes out and checks the engine and of course there's nothing there under he's the like, hoodie lifts it up and you can just see the ground yeah <laughs> just nothing <laughs> and so then they start discussing uh whether or not this is hell and yep. they died. Like, maybe we did get in an accident, and this is our version of hell. This is the part, actually. You, you kind of skipped ahead, because I think it's sure. a little more effective, because what happens is this is when she starts talking about the specifics of the crash. Oh, sure. Talking about the, well, there was something, I saw a shadow overhead right. before the crash. Uh-huh. So then, then yeah, they're like, are we dead? And they hear a train whistle. And then he says, no, well, hang on a second. He says, you ever heard of a railroad in hell? And then they run over to this train uh also i'm really curious what triggered that train whistle but it's not important they climb into the train they're mm-hmm. super happy he's joking about how his boss is going to give him crap for being late to work or whatever and then they have like a cute moment where they're making fun of his boss together because they're so excited to be leaving the centerville which is the sign yep. outside the train train takes off they keep blabbering away train stops at the next stop they look outside and it's still centerville yes and that's when they get really horrified so they get out the train to get out and then they say she says let's just start running and she takes her shoes off, and they just start running. And then she looks at the sun, yeah, because she she's like oh, screaming. She, yeah, she makes some reference to looking up at the sun for some reason. And then they look up and just start screaming. And you see like huge shadows mm-hmm. moving over them. Trees uh, get knocked over. Yeah, yeah, and they're trying to run from this big shadowy thing up in the sky. And then they get picked up by a giant, pretty crappy looking special effect of a little girl's hand. Miniature. Yeah, and then uh, there's a still of the hand holding them as they're in this little girl's palm. And uh, then you, it pulls out, and it's a little girl looking at Centerville, which is the name of the town, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a tiny set. Yes. Uh, and then the giant's mom explains, oh, be careful with your pets, dear. Your father brought them all the way from Earth. And then Sterling explains, the moral is clear. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the like <laughs> that part made me laugh so hard. It was the best. Really is great. Uh this episode Don't drink just and drive because <laughs> I got nothing else. It's We're... a completely appropriate like that's completely true. You don't made a good point. Drive. Yeah. Also, don't be Hitler. Yeah. Don't judge people by the color of their skin. <laughs> okay. We need to put some moral cap around this baby. This episode just feels like a weird greatest hits. Yeah. You know, it's like the perfect fusion of so many episodes. It's like a little bit of little people, a little bit of people are like all over, a little bit of where is everybody. It's and usually if I would be like, come on, guys. But I think the way that like this is one where all the little interlocking pieces fit together really nicely. If it had just been one dude by himself, you know, I think it would have been too much. But the couple had it. a really yeah. nice dynamic. Yeah, they had some really great performances. And th- I could tell this is what you wanted to talk about before. And I like to just, I wanted to just plow ahead. But like the part where the paper mache catches on fire. Yeah. was cool. It's like a the, magnifying glass. Yeah, just the idea that this little girl probably had a magnifying glass and mm-hmm. she's trying to burn these people alive. But like you don't see a magnifying glass at the end. No. Unless it's super small and I missed it. Well, sitting at her table or something. Yeah, and then the train, the whistle happened because she probably just had like a little, like a train set. Could be, and yeah. And the track just the went train. directly around the town. Exactly, yeah. And whatnot. Uh, I also, I am a sucker for any story where people have to question whether or not they're dead mm-hmm. and that this is their bizarre version of hell where there's just stuffed squirrels and fake loafs in a fridge. <laughs> like, I, and maybe it's just because I watched Beetlejuice so much as a kid, yeah. but I just love people not knowing that they're dead yeah. and trying to discuss their way through it. Something that I like that a lot, um, something that bones me out, though, uh-huh. is when they don't get scale right. Like, that little loaf of bread, like, when she has the things in the palm of her hand. I know yeah. this is such a nitpicky, stupid thing. That uh-huh. always, like, bums me out. They had them in the palm of her hand, and they would have been, like, how how tall do you say? Like, an inch tall? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, how tall would that little stuffed squirrel would be? It would be like, and yeah, how can they get the details so correct? Because it was a good looking stuff. It's alien giant technology, man. That's true. They did go all the way to Earth. Yeah, I guess this episode also has a lot from uh, what's the cemetery planet? Remember? Elegy. Elegy. Yeah, it feels a lot oh, like yeah. Elegy at the same time too. Just so many greats wrapped together, but it didn't bother me too much. You know what, Ben Hansen? I yeah. want to say this. This is exactly what I wanted to have happen at the end of the watching all the Twilight Zones where we could just refer to previous episodes <laughs> by their name oh, just by thinking about them. Oh, we can forget the title of previous episodes. Is that what you want but, to have happen? But being able to remember them. I think yeah. like, just, I think you did a good job. Like Tiny People, for instance. I, right. like, I couldn't remember the name of that one, but... Yeah, yeah. I think it's Little People. but Little People. Who's who's keeping track? I remember that. Um, so I ended up giving this one a seven. Yeah, as did I. God. I like this one. We were really simpatico. For the most part. So. Yeah, in the beginning, we were all over the place. I gave an episode like a three, you gave it a ten, all that crap, and now we're just aligned and we're just the same person. It, we really are. It's Tiny people together. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next episode, we're covering six episodes. It's a grand finale, dude. It is. Coming next Monday. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to handle things after that. I don't know how I'm going to watch six, <laughs> six episodes. I mentioned these were hour long again. No, I can't. That would be too much. Yeah, every Although episode. I would like to have seen this one as an hour long. It could have worked. Yeah, I think every episode I still think like, I wonder if you could have stretched this out for an hour long. For instance, this episode could have had she disappears. Uh-huh. And he's like, what? And then just like her arms and legs fall down from the sky <laughs> and then the torso. <laughs> yeah. So many dark angles could have been taken. You're totally right. Yeah. That would have been the opening five minutes. Uh-huh. And then it would have been like 
powerful scenes of grief for right. the remaining 55 minutes. Yeah, he could have gouged his eyes out like Jocasta. That's being ridiculous. Okay. A little much. All right. All right, but uh, be sure to tune in next week as we finish off this uh, long, strange journey you've maybe taken with us. Or maybe you jumped in at the end, jumped aboard that train to Centerville. I don't know. Yeah, just goes around and around, baby. There we go. Just like us, Cork. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. What would we do, Jeff Cork? Uh, let me clear my throat. <laughs> check, check, one, two. Why are there so many pens down here? That was a really surprising moment during Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> when Caesar, Caesar said, gathered his people and said, let me clear my ape throat. <laughs> <laughs> Is this thing on? <laughs>